0: So I want to welcome all of you visiting as well as our regulars. Good to see you, family of God, my brothers and sisters. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I also want to remind us all that we have an election coming very quickly. And Christians, we need to be praying, all of us. Christians are not all in agreement over issues. But one thing we can be in agreement on is 1 Timothy chapter 2 says we should pray for our leaders and those who are in authority. And then it says this, that Christians could lead a peaceable life. So I'm assuming what he means by that is that we should pray for whoever is in leadership over us, that Christians could lead a peaceable life. And, and I'm assuming he's not so much talking about us getting along with one another, but that we would be protected from the wrath of the government. He didn't say pray that we would have a financially prosperous life, but a peaceable life. And then he said so that the church might manifest godliness and dignity. So let's be in prayer, I want you to think carefully, read and pray for, and vote for this upcoming election but certainly we wanna ask the Lord for mercy and ask, the Bible tells us in Daniel, he raises up and he puts down. So let's turn to our sovereign Lord Jesus and pray for his will to be done. Father, we thank you for this country that for over 200 years, Christians have been free from persecution on a broad level. And Father, so in keeping with that spirit you tell us to pray for those in authority over us laws and decisions are constantly being made or changed and so lord we seek your face this morning that your greatest concern is not the united states of america there's no country on earth that has a uh, some supernatural special privileged position but rather father All over the world you said righteousness exalts a nation sin is a disgrace to any people so we pray first of all that you will bring about the results of this election that would be ones that would produce peace particularly for the Christian community but not so that we can indulge ourselves but so that we might lead lead godly lives for as that passage says God desires all men to be saved And to come to the knowledge of the truth and we know father from scripture that one of the primary means by which men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth is the church when the church is godly when the church is revived when the church is praying when the church is living loving and witnessing of the gospel we pray also for preparation whatever happens lord you told us that our citizenship is in heaven Help us to truly be fixed on the reality that this world is not our home. So, Father, we thank you for our fellowship. We praise you that we can be back together. We pray for this COVID to come to an end, give um, doctors wisdom, give people wisdom. And, Lord, we thank you that this didn't take you by accident. You have a purpose and a plan. And we trust you, Lord, even though we don't always understand. Be with those who are suffering in so many ways, physically, having lost loved ones, emotionally, financially. We just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, we're in one of my favorite passages this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me remind you where we are in the context. The context of, of the book of Ephesians, we're talking about unity in the body, is, is what God has done for us. The first three chapters are our blessings. So we saw in the first section, verses 3 through 14, that we have experienced incredible blessings. But then last week we saw that we need to learn how to pray for a greater understanding of them, that that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that these realities, like our inheritance, our calling and his power, would be real in our lives. And Paul left off by talking about that power that was displayed in the resurrection of Christ. Well, this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2. This is a very, very practical chapter. I want to frame it in the following um, way. I want you to think about this every Christian needs to learn to share their testimony. Okay? A testimony is simply telling how you became a Christian. Now, everybody's story is different. But a Christian testimony should have three parts to it. And if you've never done this, and parents, you could help your kids this week, sit down and talk about it. If you're your spouses, let's talk about this. Maybe you've never shared your testimony. Testimony has three parts. What your life was like before you became a Christian. How the gospel touched you and you became a Christian. And then... What difference has it made since you've become a Christian? Everybody has a testimony. Now, depending on when you became a Christian, one end might be weighted more than others. So if you became a Christian as a child, what your life was like before you became a Christian is going to be very different. You know, you're not going to be like, oh, I was an alcoholic. I divorced three times. You know, I was in seven different religions, and then I surrendered to Christ. Maybe you were saved at four years old right? So there might not be a, a lot there, but, but then think to yourself, how did the gospel, how did I come to understand the gospel? And, and you frequently heard me say this. You don't even need to know exactly when you were saved, just that at some point God opened your eyes and you truly embraced the gospel. Christ died for my sins. He rose again and he saved me by grace through faith. And then depending on when you became a Christian, you should then ask, what difference has it made? Since you've become a Christian, what evidence is of a transformed heart, has, has that brought you peace? Has it taken your fear of death? Has it helped you with depression? Has it, has it changed you from an angry person? Has it rescued you from being an addict? What difference has the gospel made? If you've got nothing on the other side here to show that the gospel has truly changed you, doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it should be alarming. Well, the reason I share that is because that's really the framework for Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at what we were like before we were Christians, how we became Christians, and then what's the resulting transformation. So the first thing Paul does is he talks about our awful condition in verses 1 through 3. Now, at first he describes people that sound like axe murderers, but then at the end he goes, we all... So every single human, this is how God views them in their spiritual condition. Now, I wanna keep a balance here. It doesn't mean we're a bunch of ax murdering crazy nuts because we're made in the image of God and we all know some really nice unbelievers. But by nature, verses one through three, this is a very important passage and every Christian should understand this. This should shape how you view people, how you parent, how you interact, how you know yourself. And what Paul's gonna tell us is that we had an awful spiritual condition. So let's look in verses one through three. He said, Christ was dead and rose from the dead, but now in chapter two, one through three, he goes, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too. So Paul includes himself. We too, all, all of us, we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. This is a very weighty passage now now you think to yourself that sounds more like um some addict than me but Paul says we too. Paul Paul didn't grow up some wild addict Paul grew up a very very religious person but yet he included himself here so let's start with the first verse it says you were dead in your sins I want you to remember this When 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 you read about death in the Bible it has different connotations but but the one common thing about death is it always has to do with being separated okay so there's three types of death mentioned in the Bible. Physical death is when we're separated from our body. James chapter 2 says, the body without the spirit is dead. So a person's dead when their inner being leaves their body and goes to judgment. There's spiritual death, which is mentioned here, and then we're going to come back to that, but there's a third type of death, and the Bible describes this, the final outcome where people go who don't become Christians. The Bible says, if your name's not in the book of life, you're thrown in the lake of fire. And it says, this is the second death, the second death. That's a permanent separation from God in the lake of fire. But currently, all human beings, the Bible says, are dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, what that means is they're disconnected from God. So when my, my phone is dead, right? That's obvious. Nothing's working. But maybe a better analogy would be your phone can be working, but it can be disconnected from the internet. So I want you to think of all humans as in their inner soul disconnected from God. Doesn't mean they hate God. Doesn't mean they're running around cursing God. It just means that he is not on their radar. He's not the center of their life. They don't worship and glorify him. So a person, you go, but this guy's pretty much alive, he's a great person, and my friend, they're so, listen, they don't honor God, they don't worship God, they don't glorify God, they don't live for God, they can't, they're separated, they're spiritually disconnected. Now, sometimes that manifests itself in very, very distorted behavior, sometimes it manifests itself in very nice behavior, but for all the wrong reasons. For just self-righteousness and pride, but all of us were born. So your children aren't born innocent, connected to God, like, teach me to worship. They're born disconnected. And the three areas where that shows up are the fact that we are so influenced by the system of the world, the fact that we are so influenced by Satan, and the fact that we are so influenced by our own corrupt disposition. So notice Paul suggests, and this is what he says about all believers, you formally walked according to the course of this world. Now, literally that, that word course here is the word age. And, and I want you to think this through. When the Bible talks about the world, it's not talking about, oh, they're worldly because they wear makeup or their pants are too tight or they listen to rock music. Worldliness, the world system is, 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 is the way that people think It's a system in opposition to and rebellion against God. It's just leaving God out, okay? So the Bible says we all walked according to the course of this world. Our mindset, were in a setting where we're leaving God out. I have nothing personal against public school, right? I don't think public school is wicked. But understand that as your kids are in public school eight hours a day, They're influenced, and I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't be there, but you have to take this in mind. They're influenced by a culture of people that are leaving God out. They don't pray. They don't talk about God. They're not even allowed to, okay? Same thing. We watch TV. We we interact, sports, everything. You know, football can be worldly if it's leaving God out. So Paul says we all lived a life where we were influenced by the course of the age of this world. Secondly, there was a satanic influence behind it, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The Bible teaches that every unbeliever, listen, unless you are a Christian, Satan has a controlling influence in your life. This is not like a speculation. This is biblical. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. No exceptions. Doesn't mean every unbeliever is demon possessed. It means that Satan's got his claws in them, though. He has a hold of them. In fact, the very essence of becoming a Christian, part of it, Paul says, is uh, God said, go turn men from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Now, it doesn't mean unbelievers are sitting there going, "The, the devil's holding me. They don't even know it right but when you become a christian you do sort of sense like wow i sense that the lord has has freed me from this evil influence over my life and that doesn't mean it disappears because we're gonna learn in ephesians 6 how we have to fight against him now the third area though those two are external this one is internal the third area among them too we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh Now, again, these terms are important. I want you to learn this. When the Bible speaks about the flesh, it is a disposition in rebellion against God. Okay? The flesh, when the Bible says, don't gratify the flesh, don't make provisions for the flesh, the flesh is a disposition, and we all have it, that is in rebellion against God. The Bible says the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God, it's unwilling, it doesn't want to submit to God. This explains why you and I want to do bad things I know you don't but sometimes I actually want to do the very thing I know God doesn't I know God says not to do that and I actually want to that's called the flesh but unbelievers the Bible says we lived in the lust which is desires of our flesh we were indulging the desires of the flesh and if we couldn't actually indulge them we would indulge the desires of the mind the whole world of fantasy and And wicked thoughts okay so think about this these three things in which all unbelievers live the world the flesh and the devil God has now rescued us out of them and now we have to engage against them don't be like the world don't give in to the flesh and stand and resist the devil well real quick what are the consequences of this look at verse 3 at the end The the consequences of this awful, awful condition is, by nature, we were children of wrath. Okay, now I want you to think about this. The word wrath, when it describes God, is his settled anger towards sin. Some people have no category for that. What, an angry God? God's not angry, okay? Wrath is not one of God's attributes. Wrath is God's reaction to sin. And and people ought to fear the wrath of God the wrath of God will, will be manifested as he pours out his punishment on rebels okay in fact the book of Romans says every day that a person refuses to repent they're treasuring up wrath they're just storing up more of God's wrath so God's wrath is coming Romans 1 says the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven Jesus warned people, flee from the wrath to come, and in fact, right now, the Bible says in John 3:36, if you believe in Christ, you know, if Christ is your Savior, you're not condemned, but if you don't obey the Lord Jesus, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on you, so the way I illustrate that is, when a deer is about to get shot, it's already in the scope, it just doesn't know it. Every sinner on this planet is in God's scope. I don't care if they're the nicest person in the world. The wrath of God abides on them. And it's, and it's not just by their deeds, it's by their nature. Okay? Now, again, we could go, well, I, I didn't, you know, I got saved when I was three. One thing you could project out of this is even if you got saved when you were three, you may not have seen much of this, but you would have. And you still had the roots of it. Apple trees don't become apple trees when they have full-blushed apples by, by, by nature when they germinate their apple trees. So this is the, the background. God says, you and I were in a terrible place, dead, lost, okay? People don't know this. If you ask most people, hey, do you think God will let you into heaven? Well, sure. I do my very best. Just yesterday I was talking to a guy who goes, I think my good deeds my, outweigh my bad, This is our role as Christians, the Bible says, to warn every man, to plead with them, to let them know that God's not good with them. So you say, wow, what a a, a bleak background. So that's our our condition. So in your testimony, you don't have to go, I was a dirty, rotten scoundrel killing people. But, But somehow your testimony should be, I was disconnected from God. Whether you grew up in a Christian home or you grew up in an atheist home, you were disconnected from God. But this is one of the coolest verses in the Bible. Look at verse 4. But God, because God is not just a God who manifests wrath towards sin, but because of his God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, okay? So what Paul's going to show here is God's gracious intervention at a place where we were so bad off, God didn't go, well, it's not my fault, it's yours, and you're going to get it. This, this, this little phrase, but God, reminds me of Genesis 6. The whole world was, was full of wickedness and it grieved God. But Noah found favor. Here comes God onto the scene in his great mercy. And this is your testimony. If you became a Christian, this is what God did for you and me. What a cool thing. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, Now, let's just lay something down here. This is what we call unconditional love, right? It doesn't say, in light of what a great guy you were, or girl you were, God really took a a shine to you. You, In spite of how horrible we were, God, because of who God is, he's a merciful God, he loved us. And he loved us so much, verse 5 says, that even when we were dead... And it was manifested in our transgressions, our sins, our rebellion, our lie, our deceit. What did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, this is what what we call, and this is a biblical term, and again, a mature Christian is learning and growing, right? This is what we call regeneration. When God speaks life into a person, he makes them alive, okay? But you can't see that happen greatest analogy of the new birth regeneration is is the one that jesus gave the wind he said the wind blows where it wishes when he was talking about being born again he goes but you don't know where it's coming from where it's going. i can't tell right now if it's windy unless i see the effects of it so god in his sovereign love for people he just makes someone alive you can't see that but you'll see the effect of it because of the first thing that happens when god makes someone alive is they repent and believe in christ Now, some people believe that this regeneration occurs after you believe in Christ. If you accept Jesus as your Savior, then He'll he'll give you new life. And, And I go, I don't agree with that. How can I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior if I'm dead? So this is the sovereign grace of God, and this is why you'll hear me speak of election. It's not as though you didn't choose to receive Christ, but we chose to believe because He made us alive. And people who don't choose to believe are held responsible for their sin, not because it's not my fault, you didn't make me alive. But as Christians, we were dead, and God, there's, there's going to be three things that he did here. Number one, he made us alive. Number two, he raised us up. And number three, he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, all three of these, these phrases, these verbs, are with Christ, He didn't just make me alive, but he made me alive with Christ. He didn't just raise me up, he raised me up with Christ. He didn't just seat me in heaven, he seated me in heaven with Christ. This is what we call our union with Christ. Because we are connected to Christ like a spiritual transplant, I've been removed from the soil of Adam, and I've been transplanted into the soil of Christ. What's true of Christ is now my benefit. So in chapter 1, remember, God raised Christ, seated Christ, exalted Christ. Now we learn that he did that for us. Why? Verse 7. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why we sing songs like this. When we've been there 10,000 years, we're going to be celebrating his grace. That's, that's why Revelation 5 says, we'll surround the Lamb and we'll be singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He purchased us. We're going to praise God forever for His incredible grace towards us. His, his love that, that, that was manifested in mercy. And here is one of the most important verses in the Bible. As we talk about God's gracious intervention, how did we experience that? Look at verse 8. For by grace... You have been saved. If you're a Christian, you have been saved. This is why we talk about sinners saved by grace. But how were you saved by grace? Look what it says. Through faith. So a person is not saved until they put their faith and trust in Christ. Okay? Now this is is so important. Think to yourself, as you think about your testimony... Do you believe that you are saved by grace through faith? You have put your faith and trust in the grace of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. Yesterday, I I gave a guy a ride. He had a a cast on his arm. He was walking down the street. And as I dropped him off, I asked him this question. You know, hey, let's talk for a minute. You think God's going to let you into heaven? He goes, yes, my good deeds outweigh my bad. And I could tell he was God-fearing. He lives with his mother. He says... I said so do you believe Jesus died for you? He goes yes for my sins. I said so when I asked you why should God let you into heaven you said it's because of your good deeds. I said you should have said and before I could word it you know what he said I should have said because Christ died for my sins. And I go yeah you think that's right that's the gospel. So pray for this guy, because then I said, so what are you going to do if that's true? Do you believe that? Are you going to keep on sinning? He goes, no, I don't want to keep on sinning. By, by grace, you're saved through faith. But learn this verse. If you don't know this verse, learn this verse. It says, not of yourselves, not of works. It is a gift. So yesterday, some, or Friday, a student asked me, he goes, but, but Mr. Allen, I ask people that. I ask them, why should God let you into heaven? And then they say to me, I'm a good person what should I say then make a beeline to this verse but here's how the Bible says of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle so the first thing I do is I say this it's interesting a lot of people think that would you be open if we were to take a Bible could I show you a verse in the Bible See, that way you're not like, wrong! <laughs> Let me tell you what the Bible says. No, you, you, you just simply go, hey, I, a lot of people think that. Maybe your church taught you that. But actually, did you, can I share a verse from the Bible? If they go no, you can go, okay. Maybe another time. But if they go, yeah, you go, let's look at this verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works. Right? So naturally, as you're learning to bring people to christ if you ask them why should i i, I let you, god let you in heaven if they bring up works you see they don't understand grace you see that they're they're relying on what they did and so you're encouraging listen it's not as a result of works it's not your religion it's nothing that you do it's a gift from jesus who paid it all and it's received as you trust in Christ so 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 true born-again believers if you believe the Bible you believe that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone Amen? amen teach that to your children but but when you're teaching them through faith alone don't settle for this now ask ask Jesus in your heart Billy dear Jesus come in my heart I don't think a child can make that connection that dear Jesus come in my heart is what it means to put your faith in Christ alone. We're trusting and relying that Jesus paid it all. So so try to illustrate to them that that if you ask a lifeguard to save you and he promises to do that, then you believe. So, So when a child is growing in their assurance, as you're growing in your assurance, your assurance of your salvation should not be, well, I said a prayer. It should be because God promised in the gospel, and I believe. And though many people say, you can't know you're going to heaven, the Bible says these have been written so that you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. So ask yourself this morning, do you know? In your testimony, do you have any sense of assurance? And try to crystallize this in your mind. When, even if it's within years, when do you think that you trusted in Christ alone? Grace alone, through faith alone. But then we have one last sticky question to answer, and that is, so what happens if someone says, yeah, yeah, I did that. Does this mean I can just live however I want? I mean, is it free hell insurance? Sign me up. So, your testimony is what your life was like before you came to Christ. Dead in our sins. How did you come to Christ? God made you alive. He opened your eyes. You understood that Christ died for you. And as Christians, when we believed, we were raised and seated. We're we're already in heaven. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. We're already seated with Christ. But the third part of your testimony is what difference does it make? So it's very important to think about the resulting transformation, okay? There's no such thing as conversion and a lifelong lack of any transformation. So look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus. In other words, on the seventh day, God rested from physical creation. But day by day, he's still doing spiritual recreations. Okay? I would imagine every day on planet Earth, all over this planet, he's making people alive. Bam, right now, probably right now during this service, maybe right here in this service, someone's coming to life and putting their faith in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you didn't, you didn't feel this happening didn't go, whoa, I was radically changed. You learn that later. You learn from Scripture that you're a new creation, that God crucified the flesh, that you've been raised to newness of life. You learn to live out what God has already done inside, Paul said it this way, later we're going to read about this. He goes, goes, you lay aside the old self and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has already been created. God gave us a new heart. So he says, we've been transformed, created in Christ Jesus for what? Look what it says, for good works. Now look at this phrase, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a cool way to close the bookends. You were dead, and you walked in the world. But now you're alive, created in Christ Jesus, to walk in good works. God didn't just save us to go, all right, make like the farmer said to the tater, if I don't see you now, I'll dig you later. Here's your hell insurance. See you when Jesus comes. No. God Saved us by grace so that he could transform us into the image of his son. And so that we, listen, You, not preachers, every Christian can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Transform. Not just, oh, I do good, but I still beat my wife. What? No. transformed, Growing. You say, well, what, well, what should I do? come on Pastor Tom tell me what should I do I got to figure out what God wants me to do with my life and I go well kind of but not exactly look what it says these good works God has them prepared beforehand wait so so you're saying that once God saved me and recreated me he already has purposes and plans for me well no I didn't say that God did (laughs) right that's cool I don't have to come up with my own schematic. I just start walking with God. Lord, Lord, thy will be done in my life. And in Christian community, as you become a growing disciple, you start learning your gifts. You start learning to engage in the body of Christ. You start going, I feel like I'm finding what God has for me. And if, and if you're not there, if you're like, man, I'm just. I have no idea what God wants me to do right? Then talk to us. Talk to other Christians. It doesn't just, he doesn't download it to you. Here's your five-year plan. But, but he has a will for us. And as we surrender to him, the Bible says, and as, as we're transformed through the word, right? It says, we will begin to prove what the will of God is. It's good and acceptable and perfect. So, as we close this morning, what a great passage. So, Two things you're going to do. Rehearse your testimony, right? If you've never, try to write it out. When we do our baptism class, we have you write it out. Write out your testimony. Before you were a Christian, how you became a Christian, and what difference has it made? And if you're over here on what difference has it made, okay, let me, let me encourage you with something. Not everybody that gets saved goes, from, from the day I came to Jesus Even though the songwriter said, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before, and I'm going, I don't know what world they live in, but that ain't my world, right? It's a struggle, and some of you might be flatlining, some of you might be declining. But may God encourage you that if you're a Christian, he's not done with you. He created you in Christ Jesus for good works. He began a good work in you, and maybe you've been fighting against him and kicking and screaming, Become come hell or high water, if you're a child of God, he will discipline you, he will do whatever he needs to to bring you to a place of saying, Lord, here I am, saved by grace. Now help me to serve you. Help me to live for you. Use me, transform me. If there's anything in my life that's gone south when you want me going north, give me the grace to turn from it. Can I get some love and an amen? Do we agree with this? That's what a church is. It's a hospital of growing saints. So the wretchedest sinners welcome here. Come as you are. But if you're touched by the gospel, you ain't going to stay as you are. God is going to do a work in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful passage. Praise you for your amazing grace. How encouraging. Nothing that we did. To God be the glory. May each of your children be strengthened today and encouraged and celebrate. May our children know their testimony. May we rehearse our testimony. Bind up the brokenhearted. Bring back your wandering children and unleash and equip us, Lord, to reach this world for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.